1 Timothy. We've moved on to chapter 6. I'm excited about that. First 1 Timothy chapter 6. And... Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be honest. There's gonna be a few references today to The Office. I think, uh, and by that I mean the show, The Office. Um, you know, there are. There's a few things that they can get away with, and they got away with in that show, that I'm not sure fly today. I'll just be honest. I mean, I'm just not sure that that. But we were watching an episode just in, in this last week, and uh, and somehow. Michael makes a reference to the abomination of slavery that is that is for lack of better terms funny and they zoom in on um, Stanley Stanley the black gentleman that works there and his his facial reaction it's just you know it's there's a way they have about that uh, that uh, that comedy that is, uh, you know, even a few years ago, I saw one where Andy is, uh, he's, you know, it's basically talking about white privilege, his concept of his family having privilege. And, uh, and Andy finds out that he, you know, he was thrilled that his family wasn't, um, wasn't involved in, they didn't own slaves. So he was really thrilled only to find out that his family was in the slave trade industry. And again, I am not minimizing that. It, it, is, it is, I think, second to abortion, the, the sin of our nation. And uh, we're going to, but we've got to, we've got to address it straight on today. And I, we've got to address it straight on because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, <coughs> Paul addresses it straight on. And like a lot of things that Paul has been addressing with Timothy, in this book, he's breaking tradition. Okay? He is changing the way things are viewed. And he says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That's a tough pill to swallow for certain individuals. Like, irrespective, I mean, you know, in the, in the United States history, obviously slaves were, were brought over from Africa, generally what, you know, the, 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 the black, uh, but there were other, there were slaves and other, there, all throughout history there's been slaves of every nationality, every ethos, every group around the world has been enslaved by someone else at some point in time. Yet Paul... Is challenging Timothy to subsequently challenge his 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 congregants, the people he's going to pastor, that if they are a servant or a slave, they are to honor their master. Like that's that's tough. That's a tough pill, like I say, for some people to swallow. And it, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. Because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So we've got to unpack that today a little bit. We've got to unpack this master-servant relationship. And it's going to be a little bit, I, I don't know how to, how, to, how to chalk it up other than to say we've just got to work through it. It's important. Chris, I'm going to have you... Uh, 
take the lead here. Actually, you can take half and do some if you don't mind either getting them started or something. We've got our handout here. But but this this is this is the context here. There's a master, there's a yoke that's referenced, and then the servant. Okay? A master, a yoke, and a servant. The master has the authority, has the ability to put pressure on the yoke, the job that has to be done. And the yoke has the ability or is the tool by which pressure is exerted on the servant. So we're going to take a look at each of these in the process. And I believe have a very biblical approach to this, despite the very challenging and very horrific context that we have of slavery in the United States, the unacceptable nature and try to try, try to contrast it to to and you just leave in the back or something. That's right, thanks. Kind of contrast it to biblical principles. I have read so I'm 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 kind of a, a, a fan of history, especially antebellum and 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 post antebellum, you know, Civil War time frame. I think the decisions that people made around that time are very interesting to look at. I think there's a lot to learn from history in, in that situation. But some of the accounts that I've read with respect to slavery in the United States are horrific. I don't know how else to describe it. And I would have a hard time if I was teaching someone who was sitting here in the front row who was a slave to do what 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 and 2 says to do. Like... I'm just going to be honest, as as a shepherd, it would be hard for me to say, treat him with honor. Like, that's hard. But we can't view this lesson just through the lens of United States slavery. It's very important. We have to view it biblically, but we have to view it through the lens of history as well. Okay? So we're going to give just, and, 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 and a quick sidebar on that. History never defines the Bible. Okay, we don't let. I mean, Sam talked about that this morning. We don't let. We don't let uh, archaeology uh, and and things like that influence the what the scripture says. But those things can shine some light on what scripture says. So we're not going to allow history to define scripture. We're going, but we are going to allow history to shine some light for us in a different time. So the master. We see the relationship with your master is important. Paul is telling Timothy how to teach it. Matter of fact, you have it on your notes. The very last phrase that he says at the end of that, these things teach and exhort. Paul, Paul adds those, what, four or five words to make sure Timothy doesn't just understand it as a principle. He's supposed to actually com communicate it. He's, it's not just, oh, Timothy needs to understand this. He is supposed to actually communicate it out. So the relationship with the master is important, and they should be counted worthy of all honor. Now, there's another word used in Scripture that's very similar here, and it's this concept of reckon. Okay, To count or account and to reckon are very similar words in Scripture. They're not exactly the same. There are some doctrinal differences, but in this pers perspective, we're looking at some, some practical application. But counted worthy of honor, it's, it's this kind of 
fancy uh, way of saying substitutionary attribution, meaning despite what they are, I'm going to count them, I'm going to reckon them a certain way, no matter what they actually are, okay? I'm going to look at them as if, okay? Even if they're not worthy, I'm going to count them worthy. I'm going to reckon them worthy. I'm going to perceive them or view them through the lens of being worthy. Well, you've heard Sam say it multiple times here. Why? Because Christ died for them too, right? He literally bled out on the cross for the master as well. Now, the contrast, you can't, you can't ignore the contrast in 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2, because in verse 2, it talks about believing masters. So the presumption is, verse 1 is either at least talking about unbelieving masters, I would argue it's actually talking about all masters, and then he goes a little more specific when he says to the believing masters. So even if they're unbelieving, we're to count them worthy of all honor. We're to reckon them. We're, to, to, we're, we're to, to view them through that lens. They're not to be despised, and we're to do them service. Well, again, that's, that's, a, hard, that's a hard pill. And I, these are not just concepts I came up with. Look at, look at how, how in Paul, in, in these verses, um, in three of the references, and there'll be one from Peter. But look at what Paul addresses in Ephesians, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Servants... Be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't just work when they're watching, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good um, goodwill, I'm sorry, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not uh, to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same he shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So when you work, when you're serving your master, you're supposed to do it as if Christ is your master, because by definition he is, if you're saved. So you do that work full singleness of heart, doing it from your heart, not doing it for men, doing it for good. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, very similar passage. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. The singleness of heart is I'm fixated on what God thinks of how I handle this, not what they think of how I handle it, or my peer, or even what I think. I am only concerned about God's impression. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So we're supposed to be obedient unto them. We're also supposed to please them. In Titus, another pastoral or shepherding text, Paul says to, to Titus, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. And we're to be submitted to them. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. Servants, be, sub be subject to your masters with all fear. Leave, you know, put yourself under them. Don't, don't push against them. Not only to the good and gentle. Like it's easy to serve the boss that, or the, again, the context here. The, the master that's good and gentle. 
but it's harder to do this, but, uh, but Peter challenges to do it to the froward as well. And again, that's a hard, that's a hard pill. I don't know how else to say it. I, I, I know I've said it multiple times, but that is, that's tough sledding. Mentally, to swallow your pride, for a, a, a man, almost always, uh, they would be men that would in some cases do you harm, did not necessarily have, probably didn't have your best interests in, at heart. That's tough. But scripture tells us we've got to do it. And then, so that's that's kind of the master role. Let's talk about the yoke for just a second. So, so I've got a couple of pictures here. And obviously this is not, neither of these are from Bible times. <laughs> but a, yeah, this one's closer. Now this is, a, is I don't, I don't know, I don't know, it was just a Google search on yoke. Um, but this is a really good illustration of what a yoke would have been, okay? And the, and, and the reason is, actually the Greek word is to balance. So the, the, the member that's on a balance that the two things hang off of, is actually called a yoke, okay? Or in, in the in the Greek word, it's I don't know, it's a Greek word, right? But and you can see how it, it it helps balance. But notice, and the reason I put this picture on there, like this woman appears to be about the same size as my wife. I'm just guessing, pretty close. My wife, I don't think, can pick up. Can you reach down and pick up a dryer like that, just like that with your hands? Not with your hands, <laughs> but with this handy dandy strap mechanism, she probably could because this lady does, and she's even smiling about it. <laughs> now, why is that? Because the, the transfer of power, of strength in this case, goes into the loins, the core that we call today, and the legs, right? That's what, if you've ever seen, like if you've ever had somebody deliver a fridge to your house or a, some sort of appliance, furniture people, like I watched a couple of guys, and they were pretty good sized guys, move, we, we, got a, we got a refrigerator, and they brought a refrigerator, and they put these straps on, and they stood up, and I'm like, you should probably hold that. And they're like, just barely touching it with their hands, keeping it steady, as they like walked up the stairs, and they turn, and they're going downstairs, and I'm like, feel like you should be holding that more. But they didn't need to because all the strength came from their core and their legs. Why is this important? The yoke is the pressure, right, that the master is putting on the servant. And the yoke is the tool by which the work is done, okay? It's the work. And it's literally illustrative of this burden applied. Okay, it's illustrative of the burden applied. Now we, and I'm just gonna, I probably should have put this first. We know, you might've already been thinking about the yoke Jesus has. He even says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we go back, the yoke is easy and that which hangs off of it is light because he's done the work. Okay. Now that doesn't make ministry super easy. It makes it not complicated, right? Because he has done the work, but we still have our part. So this is this is his Christ yoke is easy. His burden is light. But look over really in either one. But go ahead and turn to First Kings chapter twelve for a moment. 
Sam referenced this, or no, was it? Somebody referenced this not too too many weeks ago, uh, preaching. I, I want to say it was Sam because there was a, a a joke about it. I feel like it was a Sam joke. Um, in verse one, twelve Acts or uh, Acts, First Kings twelve one, and Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, uh, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. So your father put a lot of burden on what we had to do. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. So take a little of the pressure off, back off just a little bit, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father, while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. They'll still be under the yoke, but it will be easier. It will be lighter. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him. So they had similar perspectives as he did which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that uh, that we may answer this people who may have spoken unto me? Um, it's interesting. Uh, I just just now, God just showed, showed this. In verse 6, he says that I might answer. And in verse 9, it's that we may answer. So evidently, he had already made up his mind what he was going to do here. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto these people uh, that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. And look at look at his response. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam that third day as the king had appointed, uh, saying, Come again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father hath made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with with scorpions. And then uh, there's a little more, but he hearken not. But the point is... It is absolutely a contrast to the yoke that Christ puts on us. Spoiler alert, we're all servant to something. Okay? We're all servant to something, and we're going to see that in just a moment here as we continue. You have an opportunity of choosing today in the church age. This is great. You have the opportunity of choosing in a light and easy yoke and serving the Lord. Or you can take the service of, of others who are going to be whimsical in the way they decide how to mete out uh, you know, pressure. 
the, even 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 bosses, and, and I am moving it away from the, the servant slavery situation and putting it into the job and employer kind of context mm-hmm. and say, you know, you're going to have some good bosses and you're going to have some bad bosses, and I get it. Um, but you... You have a choice today. You can you can come to a guy and say, "Hey, the previous guy was was tough. Could you take it a little easier?" And he decides to make it harder. And I think it's interesting that he uses the pinky versus loins illustration because the strength in the pinky is so much less than the strength even just using the previous picture and illustration. So much like what are you supposed to do when you pick up something heavy? You're supposed to lift with your legs, not with your back, right? So the contrast here is not just a little bit stronger. The contrast he is he's going to make it way harder on these people. Way harder on these people. So, so we've seen the master relationship or the role of the master if you will we've seen this yoke this transfers let's spend the remaining and the the rest of our time looking at at servants now a servant now just hear me out i'm a reasonable man i think you all have been under under my teaching for at least long enough to know or, or trust me that just bear with me on some of the words here servants could have been servants by choice And the thing we would most liken it to today would be a job to be employed. They would come to a person and they would work for sustenance. And in theory, they could leave that employer, they could leave that servant-master relationship at any point in time, right? There's plenty of stories in scripture about servants who came to work for a season or a day, right? That's a so so it's so the word servant applies in the employee relationship, but servants could also be an inability to repay a debt. So what we would most likely or most commonly refer to as like an indentured servant. Okay? An indentured servant throughout history has been one who assumed a debt and the inability to repay the debt in in goods and cash or something of value they would repay the debt through work and generally speaking there was some measure i guess is the best way of saying it of when the debt was repaid now god created in the nation of israel some structure around that around their year of jubilee yes. to let people out Right, so that there was a cap on the end of it, because what bad people, and this was this is not just a, a, a religious thing. This was a, you know every everybody did this kind of thing all around the world, and what bad people would do is if you owed, I'm just going to use a round number, if you owed me a thousand dollars and you worked for me and I paid you ten dollars an hour, I would say, well, I'm actually only paying you fifty cents an hour. Because of credit because 950 goes to take care of your room and board and the food you're eating, right? And so, or maybe it's only 25 cents an hour. And then with taxes and it, or with interest on top of that, you're never really able to get out of it. You see, you see the, mm-hmm. so bad people can twist this and I just did that pretty quick. I mean, they can make it much more elaborate, right? So, indi- so indentured actually, or this, this, uh, the servanthood comes from the word bind. They're, they're bound 
and it doesn't necessarily mean chains, they're kind of legally bound, right? Now the lender could actually, like if I loaned, if I loaned Chris $1,000 and Chris couldn't pay me back and he became my indentured servant, but I need the $1,000, I don't need Chris working for me, right? Because of the nature of my business or whatever, right? I actually need the money. I could sell Chris as an indentured servant to, you know, to any number of other people under any number of other relationships or, or, or contracts, and then I could get the money kind of immediately back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh -huh. So I sell him to Nathan for $750 because I want my money right now, right. right? And Chris has no say in this interaction because Chris owes me the thousand bucks, right? You can see how quickly this can go downhill when you interject the, the lost mind, right? Now, some, there's also a passage in scripture in the Old Testament, and this is actually where earrings come into play, where, where servants could choose to stay. If Chris really, so, so I actually, I loan Chris $1,000, he works for me, but Chris likes it. Chris gets along with my family, he likes the room and board I provide him, and he just wants to stay. There's actually passage in scripture where I could put an awl through his ear, I'd put, a, put him up against the doorpost yeah. like this, and I'd run an awl through his ear, which, let's just do an illustration. Chris? <laughs> but, but, but he could choose to stay because it's a good relationship because he and the, the words that are actually used in scripture is love he loves like a relationship has been built right so but look at this look at the the spiritual implications or the practical even implications the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender like i know dave ramsey loves quoting this yeah. right but this you know like now it looks in the form of MasterCard and Visa and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all, like, I, I get it. Did I get those right or did I get those backwards? Did I get them right? Okay. But I, I get it. But then it was in the form of a person, Mitch Dobson. He controls Chris because Chris loaned him money or I loaned, you know, because he loaned Chris money and Chris can't pay it back. That's why usury is so frustrating to God because it creates this perpetual servanthood situation. Notice in Genesis 24 though, and this is one of the one one of the references I wanted to bring out, Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. So this dude, he trusted with everything, yet he was a servant. So it seems kind of inconsistent that this could be a guy and maybe he was just an employee, but look at what he and the servant took 10 camels of his um of the camels of his master, and he departed, right? He's going to find a, a, a bride for, for um, Isaac, right? And, uh, and for all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. The dude could have just left with all the stuff, right? I mean, he could have just said, I'm free. I've got camels. I've got a bunch of money, jewels and stuff that he sent with me. I'm out. But he didn't. He fulfilled the role, and he brought... Like that could be the relationship, again with a good, with a good master. Now let's look at another type. So this is servant. So let's look at another type of master-servant type relationship, and that is bondmen or bondmaids. These are different 
than the servants that we just talked about. These are typically children of the debtor. So now in the illustration, I have loaned Chris $1,000. Chris can't pay it back. I say, I don't want Chris because he's got some gray hair working there. I'm not, I've never seen Chris work, but I'll take his kids. Yikes. Okay? This gets really tough. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now there cried a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. But look, I've got this problem. And the creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Different rules apply. Chris could work his way out as an indentured servant. Possibly. If I didn't make the situation so bad that he could never get out, Chris could actually work his way out, right? But generally, there was no way out for bondmen or bondmaids. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5. There were all, um, and there were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Right, so we we borrowed money. Now yet, uh, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought uh, are brought unto bondage already. Neither it is in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Like there's no way for me to get my kids back. Because I've borrowed to, like you can see why God is really against or really wants you to be careful when you borrow money, certainly in this context. Like, it, you know, we talk about it today and, and a lot of Christians, you know, they'll be like, well, maybe the God wants you to call you the mission field and he can't call you the mission field if you're in debt or too much debt. Well, that's true. Maybe you can't be everything that God wants you to be because of debt. That's another, I guess, another topic for another day. But we're not talking that somebody's going to steal your kids. Like, this is really bad. And as a society, we have, at least in developed countries, we have generally kind of put some boundaries on this, right? You don't have debtor's prisons anymore. You don't have this concept. But look, it requires an outside deliverer. And for the spiritually minded, you can see where this message is going. Deuteronomy 15, 15, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Wherefore I command thee, uh, this, uh, command thee this thing today. So Israel, remember what happened. They went into Egypt, but as, they, as the generations rolled by, hundreds of years rolled by, they grew up as slaves, right? As bondmen and bondwomen. So it literally would take an outside deliverer. Chris owes me $1,000. I take his kids. It would require Jisung to come buy those kids from me for them to have any chance to get back to Chris in this example. Or Chris would have to come, come into a whole host of money somehow to get his kids back. Like it required an outside deliverer. Now, this is even different. So we've talked about servants that could be just an employer. They could be indentured. This is different than a bondman or a bondwoman. And notice the difference to slavery, because slavery appears in Scripture a couple of times as well. Slavery 
is a prohibited evil. It's not the same as a servant. There's a contrast specifically in Jeremiah 2, 2 verse 14. Is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he spoiled? He's making a contrast there. It's not the same. They don't have a choice. They've received no benefit and they don't have a way out. In all the examples I've been using, Chris got $1,000 and mismanaged it somehow, right? Because he can't pay me back. A slave, they never got the $1,000. A slave, somebody came and took them and made them a servant or by definition, a slave, okay? And again, the atrocity that is American history, United States history of slavery is so abominable because people were stolen. Look at, look at specifically what scripture has to say about this. He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he is found in his hand, he shall be put to death. Like, and that's what made, and again, that's what made the, the cringy nature of the office. Like, if you've ever watched the show, they love to play on the cringe factor. Like, I can't believe they're actually having that. Like, that's what made, uh, I can't think of his name, the, um, the guy who always sings, the, Andy. Andy. That's what made his realization so, like, awkward was that, well, I wasn't, we, you know, we didn't own slaves. We just sold them. Well, that guy's, he should be put to death. I mean, not Andy, but his predecessors, his ancestors. Like, that's the, you want to talk about the low of the low was the people that stole them, brought them across. Like, in some cases, I, I have heard, I don't know if this is true. I have, I shouldn't say, I've heard, I've watched shows and I've read that Ulysses S. Grant was given a slave an African-American slave by his father-in-law when he married his daughter. But that he worked beside that slave in the field. He treated the slave the same as he treated his own family and eventually gave, gave that slave his freedom because he understood the abomination of it, right? Which is, they, they, people have likened it to the equivalent of like giving someone a house in today's metrics. It would be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But of course, the man's freedom was worth it. Notice in Genesis 37, the story about Joseph. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted out Joseph, uh, up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And the Midianites sold him Unto Egypt, uh, into Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, as the captain of the guard. Like literally, this is slavery at its core. In Revelation 18, we don't have a whole lot of time to spend here, but in Revelation 18, very bad men doing very bad things. They talk about a lot of different things that they sell. The merchandise of gold and silver, of precious stones, there's quite a list. And of wheat, and of beasts, and of sheep, and of horses. Notice the commodities. And chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. They literally look at the souls of men, the human person, as a commodity. Like, that's not okay. It's literally prohibited in Scripture. So we cannot avoid the contrast of this indentured servanthood employment situation 
the bond situation where there's no out and the slave situation. We have to be very mindful of that. So there's some spiritual principles that I want to I want to get through in the remaining time. And this contrast is is shown again in Leviticus 25. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant. It's different. It's not a bondservant situation. But if your brother is sold, make him like a hired servant. Make the situation where he can leave as a sojourner. He shall be well, uh, and shall be, um, and he and he shall be with thee, and shall serve thee unto the year of jubilee. Then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. Literally, God is not in the business of having slaves. Like that's not okay. So let's look at this, con- uh, continue the contrast, the spiritual principles. So on the left, on the slides, will be servant, and on the right is bondman. Notice our, our situation. Jesus answered, verily, verily, and to say, say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. It's interesting. You're the servant when you do it. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I thank God through... Jesus Christ our Lord so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh serve the law of sin and of course Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord so you can see the servant situation we humans in the church age lost and even saved are either are or were the servants of sin but we were also bondmen. So we are sinners by choice, but we're, right? Because we got something out of it. The wages of sin is death. We got something out of it. We got our $1,000 and now we're, we're caught. We're a servant. We're an injured servant. But we're also bondmen. So we were sinners by choice, but also by our nature. Acts 8.23, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We are both an indentured servant and a bondman or woman when it comes to our spiritual state. We're caught. Both servants are laid out in scripture from our spiritual perspective. So then, let's look at him. As a servant, we're temporarily under control. We do earn wages. We got something for it. In our case, we maybe got pleasure in sin for a season, but we also got the wages of sin or death. And we can choose to stay there. We can choose to stay as a servant of sin. I would not recommend it, but you have the free will. You have the choice. You can get a proverbial earring where you say, I want to stay the servant of sin. You can be marked and stay that. And at the exact same time, you're a bondman. You're, you, you're, uh, it's due to a debt of your family. Like the sin nature is passed down. You're unable to work your way out of it and you need an external deliverer. Right? So Jesus addresses these all straight on. 
I know there's a lot of words here. I apologize, but I wanted to show the contrast. In John 8, 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Romans 6, 18 and 22. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. If you remember a few moments ago, I said, you're going to be, you're going to serve somebody. You're somebody's servant. Either you're going to continue to be the servant of sin, serving the world, the flesh, or you have an opportunity to take on an easy yoke, a, a light burden from the Lord Jesus Christ. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. I mean, literally, you have this seemingly really straightforward decision. Like, I think it's a, is it, I don't know, it's like an insurance company commercial where they're, they're like, some decisions are easy and it's kids playing basketball on the, on the, on the, you know, they're out on the playground, they're playing basketball. Nobody's seen this commercial? And there's like three kids and Charles Barkley? Yes. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, I'll take Charles. And he's like, yes. I mean, like some decisions are easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick Charles. I, the kid can't even reach his, you know, chest, let alone his hands with the ball. Like, I'm going to choose Charles Barkley. It is Charles Barkley, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I choose Charles Barkley. Like, you have a choice. You can stay the servant of sin. You can stay as a bondman or bondwoman. Or you you got a choice. It's like a pretty easy decision. I just wish people understood it. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Like literally, he's paid my debt. Amen. Yeah. Literally. So when we're, on, we're looking on the bondman side, we need to talk about that. Those kids, no matter how hard they work, they can never pay that money back because it was their parents' debt. That's the, the irony. I hesitate to call it beauty, but the beauty of the illustration with respect to us, for ye are bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? For as much as, uh, in, in, even in 1 Corinthians 7, for you are bought with a price, be ye not the servants of men. Like, don't choose that. Choose to serve God. For as much in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Literally, that is how you are redeemed from this servant situation. And then last but certainly not least, so then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We literally can get out from the oppressive yoke of our flesh, the oppressive yoke of the world, the oppressive yoke of Satan. Like we literally have the opportunity to have a very light yoke and a very easy burden. So we have one discipleship decision into two, into two questions today. Whose servant will you be? And under what yoke will you serve? Because as I've already said, you're going to be somebody's. There's two sides to this, to this, to this lesson. Like you can be the servant of sin or you can be the servant of the Lord. You can serve under the, the yoke of, of your flesh 
where you can serve the Lord and his have his uh, his his easy and light burden. If you've not made that decision, that is paramount. We need to talk about this. Like we need to get your questions answered. We need to pray through the Holy Spirit convicting you. Our son shared with us a couple nights ago that he had the opportunity to to witness and share his faith. Uh, very, it sounded very. Uh, you know, he was recounting it obviously with a with a fellow student uh, over in in Manhattan. And it was really interesting what the young man said. That sounds like a really important decision, and I got to make sure I believe it. Like we can work with that. Right. We can work with that. It's a really important decision, but let me just tell you, if you don't make the decision, you're going to be under bondage. You're going to be you're going to be more like a bondman, a bondmaid or a slave because the world will chew you up and spit you out. And just the time you think you've got the world by the you know, by the collar, just the time you think I'm going to be okay, the world will just oh my goodness they'll roll over you like a steamroller and and you'll be flat like a cartoon and we'll have to blow on your thumb to get you back up (laughs) you will be you will be crushed you will be crushed by the world if you've not made that decision i beg you grab me afterwards i beg you let's pray lord we do thank you for 